We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at the Coljack, the Night Stalker episode, The Vampire. And kudos to anyone who guessed what kind of creature is in this episode uh, tonight. Zombie. <laughs> exactly. A lonely night somewhere outside Las Vegas, a flight attendant stops to change the tire on her car. She cuts herself and begins to bleed. A pair of hands rise from the nearby ground, and she flees in terror. In Chicago, Carl Kolchak is talking with an old friend of his from his Las Vegas days. He tells Kolchak about a series of murders moving west from Vegas towards Los Angeles. The victims drained of blood. This sounds all too familiar to Kolchak, who manages to get himself assigned to a story in L.A. about transcendental meditation. Kolchak has something else he's really interested in. In Los Angeles, the first of the murders begin. A female vampire kills two people that knew her. Skipping his interview with the guru, Kolchak drives to Barstow, where the most recent murder he knows about occurred. The man was killed, and the windows of his car were taped black on the inside. The police stonewall Kolchak, but it is apparent that he hits a nerve when he suggests that the victim was drained of blood. Kolchak knows exactly what they're dealing with. Visiting the guru, he finds that he has left Los Angeles, and so has the story he's supposed to file. He meets the guru's realtor, who has spent time talking with the guru, and convinces her to write his article for him, while he continues to investigate the story that really interests him. The police hold a press conference about the double murder at the scene of the crime, and Kolchak makes the usual pain of himself. L.A. police have arrested two members of a coven and believe that they are stealing the blood for ritualistic practices. Later, the police lieutenant, Mateo, returns to the scene to do more investigating, and Kolchak meets him there. He partially lays his cards on the table, insisting that the only way he will catch and stop this killer is to treat it as if it was a real vampire. The lieutenant is unimpressed. But does he have doubts that Kolchak is correct? The vampire, now identified as Catherine Rawlings, high-priced prostitute and missing for three years since disappearing in Las Vegas during the events of the movie The Night Stalker, and sister of the deceased woman, also a high-priced prostitute, gets a job with a high-end call-girl service, Grace's Catering. Kolchak puts the pieces together and contacts Grace's Catering and orders up a nighttime serving of Catherine Rawlings' services. He lays a trap for her, but a different prostitute arrives instead. From her, he finds out that Rawlings was sent on a special job for one of the Los Angeles football team's stars. As Kolchak arrives at his place, Rawlings wipes the floor with five professional football players, killing them all. The cops arrive, and Kolchak is caught on the scene and ordered to leave town. As he prepares to leave, he asks his realtor friend to help him find a house that has been recently rented. Searching until sundown, Kolchak finds the likely place. He goes there, sets another trap, this time with a burning cross, and kills the vampire as the police and Lieutenant Mateo arrive to witness the stake through the heart. He is, of course, charged with murder and then released. The coroner's report indicated that Catherine Rawlings had been dead for three years. Well, so, 
I've always kind of wondered about this episode. Is it, did they feel they needed to bring the vampire back to tie it to the movies? Or did they feel they needed to bring a vampire in because they were assuming that people watching the series may not have seen the movie in the first place? Or were they just completely bankrupt by episode four and couldn't think of anything <laughs> new? I I feel like if we've had a kind of um, a, a slew of vampire-ish stories in the sense that the the villain in the Night Stalker is pretty pretty much replicated through the villain in the Night Strangler in the yeah. sense that you know you have this ancient being and yada 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 has to mm-hmm. kill in order to survive um, much of the same stuff plus the Jack the Ripper episode. Mm-hmm. So that that you know that's half of the he, he's re- he's almost replicating the Night Strangler. Yeah, 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 and he's it, extracting something not you know, not blood in this case, but you know, uh, yeah, body what, parts. I, what that felt to me like was was that at the beginning of the TV series they were they were re- recapitulating the Night Strangler on the assumption people hadn't seen it mm-hmm. uh, because otherwise it does seem a very derivative kind of story to use and uh well i mean prior to prior to this episode titled the vampire that's that's um that's over half the episodes that feel like they're already getting much about vampires and so <laughs> out pops the vampire on the uh on on as the title uh, of the next episode to watch and i'm thinking oh god here we go again <laughs> and I, I i agree there i I rather enjoyed this episode. I've got to say, uh, it didn't feel to me like they were were rehashing anything. It didn't feel to me like a particularly forced sequel. It it, it obviously did throw back quite heavily to the Night Strangler movie. So it kind of or, or it, the Stalker. Yeah, sorry, the Night Stalker. I'm getting yeah. getting getting all mixed up. But yeah, yeah which was which anyway? Uh, the Night Stalker and and. Um, that kind of runs contrary to my assumptions that when they when they did the, the Jack the Ripper episodes, they were, they were sort of rebooting for a fresh audience, whereas I suppose you don't really need to, to know anything about what happened in The Night Strangler, but they refer back to it repeatedly mm. in this. So the, there's, I, I guess that's a payoff for, for those who have, who have stuck with the series right from its, its TV movie origins. Um, but yeah, there's, there's quite a number of things that um, that I enjoyed about this one. I, you know, I I wonder also if this should have been the first episode. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is uh, the 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 Ripper and the Vampire are both derivative of either and or both all the way back to the Night Stalker. But if you were if you had done this one first, you would just be simply acknowledging right off the bat this thing happened to Carl Kolchak years ago. And he's found it again and set them up because so the, the night stalker, the night strangler was a quote unquote, a sequel, if you will, Carl, the, the sequel adventures for Carl Kolchak. And it's enormously derivative of the night stalker. I mean, it's just like, take the same story, substitute brain fluid and substitute, you know, old civil war guy. And, Seattle, basic in Seattle, yeah, and just kind of lay out the same, the same uh, 
Prince, whereas right, yeah, this on the one basis genuinely of, uh, feels like a sequel. It, it well, genuinely it feels, feels like feels a like different a, story. It feels like a different sort of sequel because the, the Strangler was the sort of sequel where they go, hey, that was a really successful TV movie we made. Let's make exactly the same TV movie again. Uh-huh. And, uh, and everyone will love it the second time round. Whereas, as you say, this, this, it feels like it's deliberately taking the story somewhere else. And I have to say, I wasn't watching it with what you've just said in mind. But now you've said it, it just makes so much sense. But even 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 watching it as the the kind of fourth episode in the in the TV series, it really does seem to be uh, taking taking some of the kind of tropes that had become or seemed to be becoming very well established within Kolchak. Uh, in if you include the, the the TV movies of things like at the beginning of the show, you know you're always seeing uh, some mysterious ancient stalker mm. killing a prostitute whereas at the beginning of this episode you've actually got the call girl being the one who's doing the killing mm-hmm. so turning that on on its head and even some of the kind of smaller changes like we've always got the voiceover about how oh, this is Kolchak's biggest story of whatever yada 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 um, but he's on a plane this time so that's that's already a kind of rather than just sitting in the in the INS office pecking away at his manual typewriter mm-hmm. we, we've we've got something that's making you think okay where you know where, where's he where's he going where's he coming from um has he been has he been booted out of chicago obviously at this point <laughs> okay. we don't know don't know that it's, didn't know that it was la that he'd been booted out of this time but i'm annoyed the plane was traveling the wrong direction oh but, yeah we get we get we're, we're getting back into the whole um uh, left right plane yeah east yeah, west thing the zygon uh yeah discussion well, you know i am I'm, I'm passing all of this i it, and i think we mentioned i don't know if we mentioned it in the podcast or whether we mentioned it in the comments somewhere but um the if you go to the book and and when i say the book you know like the three c's of cinematography which is a a, a classic work of you know how to do cinematography Obviously, everything's up to artistic choice, but it is very, very common to help orient the audience that planes flying east to west fly left to right on the screen, just because your brain kind of orients north. And so they just tend to do that with their stock footage, you know, east coast, west coast flight. They have directions that they do. And by and large, in American productions, that is true. When this one opened up and the plane is flying, I'm going, because I knew this took place in Los Angeles, I'm going, so he's doing the narration on the way to Los Angeles? It just instantly. And then on the at the end, they, they still show it, and it's still going the same direction. So, And I, I said to myself, oh, Simon's going to spot that, and he's going to call me out on that. <laughs> <laughs> because they got it wrong in this case. But well, anyway. I think it may be... Because it's uh, it's stock footage, but I have to say, I had completely forgotten about it. That was it, it. It it was. You're right. It was in the it was in the comments section mm-hmm. when um, when uh, you discussed the Zygon invasion and the Zygon inversion in episode 234 of Fusion Patrol. And you can read those comments if you can scroll through all the discussion about. Are Huey, you serious? Huey Green. Is that the right episode number? That is absolutely the right episode number. <laughs> I'm impressed. Uh, 
but but that that was completely new to me then and i'd completely forgotten about it again so un, unlike you i i haven't quite got into the habit yet of every time i see a an airplane on screen thinking about the five c's and uh get, <laughs> getting irate if it if it turns out to have been going in the wrong direction that's just shoddy filmmaking that they didn't find some stock footage going the right direction <laughs> or, or or just you know reverse it yeah or yeah whatever you need to do to to make it although i i would have said looking at that shot that what was in the background was chicago too because it does look a bit like chicago on the lake and in in the distance there so um <laughs> there there was that little aspect to it i'm like <laughs> Uh, different cities do look different, and Chicago kind of has that. I don't know where I, you know, who knows where it really came from. But that that was the city that, because of course it's set in Chicago as well. So that's studying in my mind anyway. I, you know, I I actually um, a couple of these <clears throat> Cold Jack episodes, um, you know, from our earlier discussion discussion about how on the nose these are, and and you know, even coming up on the werewolf, uh, th- these. You, you it, it kind of ruins a little suspense in in the thing, and it also kind of seems to diminish it. And so I was I've been kind of dreading this one, and I really enjoy. In fact, I enjoyed it. It's not like my favorite thing ever, but I enjoyed it enough. That there were places in this where I felt like things had just been glossed over too quickly, and and I would have liked to have seen them. Not exactly saying I'd want to see this as a as a TV movie to get it longer, but there were just places where, you know, in and out, jump from point A to point B that we did not have in the original movie where, you know, Kolchak had to build up some clues and he had to hunt for the vampire and, you know, he needed assistance from people on the street to help him find the thing. And, and here, for example, hey, let's just check the multiple listings. And they sit down and look through the multiple listings all day and say, oh, that's a spooky house. Bet that's where the vampire is. <laughs> I assume but, that that's what they figured out, unless it was rented in her actual name. I thought they were looking for, for rentals within a particular time period. Time period, yeah. But um, so there must, you know, there must be more than one house rented within a week in Los Angeles. So that something about it must have stood out, whether it was her name. Oh, we rented this to Catherine Rawlings. Dun, dun, dun. Or, yeah, it's a, rundown, it's a rundown old wreck on the hill. Nobody wouldn't live there. It's like a haunted house. Ah, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's the place she'll be. Places of the dead. I mean, just like the, in the Night Stalker, he liked a dumpy old house. Don't know why that was, but okay. Um, the, the trip out to Barstow, um, maybe that was enough. Um but it was all condensed down into that one quick scene, and the oh, windows covered up. And I, I don't know. That it was just, that. I, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stick up for the pacing on on this. I think the, I, I felt the movies were probably too long, and I felt the first couple of episodes of the TV series were also too long. Um, <laughs> this to 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 me, I think. This had a, a a kind of good uh, rattling sort of pace to it. It 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 took you through it. It didn't it didn't kind of get stale. Going out to to Barstow had the point that it you know you needed 
you needed to understand about that murder. It was an interesting... It, I mean, that was the other thing about it. It was a sort of interesting change of scene. Going to Los Angeles was an interesting chase mm-hmm. of, ch- change of scene. And then within that, you know, they, they, they picked some good locations to film. I mean, that's not, that doesn't make a story in its own right, but right. it enlivens it, it things up a bit, I think. And, and that, that, guess- that, to me, feels like what was much more enjoyable, enjoyable about this episode... See, I, I felt, using Barstow as the, as the example, but I felt that I, I wanted to know a little bit more about how the vampire moved from Vegas to Los Angeles, more so than I wanted to know about the realtor writing up the story about the guru. Is that, no, I, you know, I see. places that, uh, I enjoyed that, some of the stuff about the guru was amusing, but it was it felt like it was filler in places and then at the I, expense of the vampire part. i think the, the uh, i i i i see it the other way around like the the vampire stuff is just a, a hook to hang the story on because we've done the vampire stuff right we know we know how that works it's explicitly a sequel it's going to be exactly the same the 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 difference is here we've got a a slightly different set of characters and mm. There uh, uh, and and the story is built around that, built built around them, and the weakness of of, of Kolchak, the show so far has been that when they've tried to do that, they've ended up basically, although they've had different names and actors playing the characters, having them fulfilling the same roles and therefore knocking out exactly the same story. I'm not saying they were completely three-dimensional fascinating characters or anything in this but right it, uh, you know in terms of again coming back to the pacing having that that's that uh subplot with uh was it uh Faye, the aspiring journalist or whatever yeah i think that's yeah um and and the the, the kind of guru story and the kind of usual uh shenanigans with the police coupled with kolchak's own um own investigations and trying to keep Vincenzo off his back. The balance was there. Those those different story elements, they 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 didn't they they kept any one part of it getting stale or or kind of looking too closely at the vampire storyline and thinking, well, hang on, that doesn't make sense. So, to to me, the the kind of high point about this story was actually um, Kolchak's maybe a bit more fun in this. It, it is a there's fun. There is fun in the episode. Um, there was, I, I would agree with that. And the the, ens- the, the ensemble is is starting to be uh, a bit more entertaining with um, you know with uh, Vincenzo and and Uptight, and this is this is the 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 way Kolchak's written in this or the way he's played is much more to the kind of strengths of his character which haven't really been that evident thus far so Mm. we've talked about the fact that he manages to alienate people and basically be rather unpleasant a lot of the time and it's astonishing that he manages to get any story because who on earth would talk to him whereas in in almost every scene in this while you still think he's a complete self-centered user you can see how clever he is and how yes. charming he can be. So in that scene with Vincenzo and Uptight, he's doing his reverse psychology thing. And, and it's so obvious that even Uptight is spotting what he's doing. Um, but 
but it you know it is it is quite fun because he's doing it well enough he he knows exactly how to play vincenzo and it works and and it's interesting that he knows books on transcendental meditation because yeah. clearly he he wasn't just pulling those making them up because updike at least knew one of them yes from yes. the from the things so um it it does show that Kolchak is there's something there. He's not just an, a, an aggressive guy. I mean, he he's not stupid. Yeah, and, and he and, he does stupid things from time to time. There's no doubt about that. Like yeah, going to a vampire's house at night. Certainly not exempt from that in this one. But right. but, but there are but there are a number of instances. You know when he is out in Bastow and he's chatting up the guy. You know the gorgeous country you got around here thing and and. Um, you, you you get a sense of i mean the guy says you're one of the, those fellows who who likes to hear himself talk and obviously there's some truth to that but he's <laughs> he's he's got the charm that brings out you know the little details that are going to make his his story in there and uh, so you you do have a sense of how he is actually quite a capable reporter after all yeah yeah, and that that is, <clears throat> I guess that's something in his favor. I, uh, and and perhaps because we've had that discussion, um, these later episodes, and I'm, that's it's not trying to be spoilery, but I mean I, it, it's undeniable. I've watched them, and so I may very well have been projecting back onto the original story when I said, well, you know, it's obvious Kolchak's a good reporter. And you were not necessarily on board with that. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, you know, it's like, no, he's, he's just blundering into it, which, you know, when you say it, yeah, he kind of is. And, and, and yet in certain... my mind, I feel like, no, but, but he's supposed to be a really good reporter. I mean, they do keep saying it and I keep thinking it and it could be from some of this latter stuff. But actually they didn't, there, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a lot of people keep saying that, Kolchak is a good reporter. Most people say he's a very annoying man um, because mm-hmm. the, you know the characters we get on screen are people like Vincenzo, who spends time trying to fire him, and uh, and the the various uh, police captains who spend their time trying to eject him from press conferences and things. It's only actually really Kolchak himself who who kind of shows any confidence in his abilities as a reporter. And since all we see all we see is him making mistakes, running risks, and ultimately not actually getting anything published, my question back then was, okay, where's the evidence that he he he's any good at this job? I think it's I still think it's partly the sign of the times. It's the zeitgeist uh, that reporters, good reporters, annoyed the authorities. You oh, know, sure. A good reporter rubs him the wrong way. And so every time the cop is saying, you know, he's an annoyance, they're saying he does things we don't like. Sure. And of sure. course, we're no. trying to. So, so that's I, shorthand for he's a good reporter and the rest of them are just press agents for the it's police. It's a very, very shorthand because, yeah, obviously a good reporter doesn't annoy people in power for the sake of annoying people in power. He annoys people in power because... He's exposing truths that they want to keep secret. Whereas when he's standing in a press conference mouthing off about um, some theory about vampire when he has pretty much zero evidence and it's all mm. pure conjecture, you kind of think, well... And, and, of course, it doesn't produce an answer either. So, 
the, 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 his behaviour doesn't suggest that he's he's kind of advancing his own story in any way. So what you what you what you fail to see is any of the story being produced. You see you see people being annoyed, but that doesn't. Hmm. Yeah. No. I I, I agree. I, you know. Uh, flip side, Vincenzo keeps hiring him. Well, yeah. Wherever he goes, that's true. It's like he must he must come through for him at some level. Yeah, yeah, but I still wondered about it because I was thinking, you know, he still actually hasn't published anything Kolchak's written during the course of anything that we've seen on screen. Not his crazy stories, that's right. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm going to... He might have had other stuff. But, but another thing in this is that we get, we, get, uh, we get an indication that Kolchak can actually write as well because he... Well, I mean, all right, Faye... We get an indication that Faye is a terrible writer, but Kolchak <laughs> spots it, and you know he goes off on what about the the uh, and he does it he does it nicely as well. He's he's kind of quite gently sarcastic, saying you know you, you don't have any more oft studio, and she says, well, I do have a nary in here. <laughs> <laughs> so I enjoyed that too. Yeah, uh, yeah, I and and that also falls into that sort of nineteen seventies reporter stereotype that they were very fussy about their english their writing style that that was a that was a, a thing before blogging <laughs> that journalists actually had some you know if you read it in a newspaper it was probably well written um but i don't know so one of the things that i like in this episode in particular is that this is probably the first one this is the first one where there's any indication that any weird things have ever happened to Kolchak in the past? You know, with the Ripper, with the zombie, with the aliens, uh, maybe Kolchak is a little quicker to believe that something weird is going on, but there is no hint that last week he was fighting Jack the Ripper, this week he's um, fighting aliens from another planet. In this episode, just the second they go, you know, blood drain... Light goes on in Kolchak's head. I know that's real. I need this story. And he goes after it. And I like that. I like that a lot. I would like it, you know, even if, even if it was like Mulder's quest for weird stuff in the X-Files, if we saw anything that indicated that Kolchak was specifically interested in going after that kind of story, but we don't. He stumbles across them every time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as as wherever they're happening. And I like that. And the flip side, why didn't he tell Vincenzo? Vincenzo knew perfectly well there was a vampire in Las Vegas. Vincenzo yes, should have been well, one yes, person he could have convinced. Except that Vincenzo never published his story. They both got kicked out of town. Um, yeah. I, can, I can kind of see why he didn't want to tell Vincenzo what he was doing until he had something to actually deliver to him. Mm-hmm. But... When he had had him on the phone, I know that the cops said, don't say the word, but he could have said, remember the Scorzani case in Las yeah, Vegas? Well, yes, that's, yes, that's true. I've got that here. And he would not have said the V word, and, and Vincenzo would have been clued in. And I would have loved to have seen what his attitude was, instead of just blustery, stop annoying the cops, like, because he, he knew. So, yeah. That let me down. And every time Kolchak comes up with a weird story, 
yep, I get that Vincenzo's job is to stop him from publishing it if he can't substantiate it because it's just supposition and crazy talk. So, you know, I, I get why Vincenzo is kind of, uh, is, he's the gatekeeper of what we can say, whether it's because the government's going to shut you down or, or what. So, you know, he's kind of the agent of agent of the establishment. But that does not mean to me that Vincenzo doesn't believe necessarily that Kolchak has encountered some of these things. I just think he's more pragmatic about what, what goes on. But that doesn't mean he shouldn't be able to talk to him. Um, I get Vincenzo gets annoyed by it because, oh no, here we go again. But here we go again. You know, it's not like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard of, Carl. It's, yeah, you've got another one kind of thing. So anyway, yeah, that, that yeah. was a disappointment to me as the sequel goes. That Vincenzo, even though he was in another city, should have at least been sort of maybe sympathetic to trying to find that story. Because I would be willing to bet that Vincenzo would love to be able to publish Kolchak's story if there had been any evidence. And if they found another one, you know, that's a huge, huge story. Um, I, I, th- I, th- I think I'll accept the point at at the at the point where he's on the phone in in uh, the footballer's uh, house mm-hmm. then yes uh, really vincenzo should have should have been more clued up up to that point i'm kind of thinking that kolchak probably decided that he was going to play it his way because if vincenzo found out that he really wanted to go to los angeles to in, investigate vampires rather than transcendental mm-hmm. meditation and that he was bringing along a stake and a wooden mallet then he might have said no remember um, the great days when you could fly on an airplane with a stake and a wooden mallet in your bag <laughs> <laughs> assuming he flew with them <laughs> i got him back from my my collection anyway um yeah I, i'll go with that I, i'll go with that i'm i'm fine with him not telling Tony at the beginning. I just at that point he's like, you 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 need an ally on your side, yeah. and even if he can't do anything for you, at least let him know so that you, they don't think you're just annoying the cops for no good reason whatsoever. Right? Yeah. It would explain everything to Vincenzo right there. He'd be like, I get why you didn't get the story for the guru. I get why you snuck your way out there. I get why you're in trouble with the cops. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, I've got a couple of. Just like miscellaneous notes along the way here, and and I'll I'll just kind of hit the points, and then we can talk about them, um, or or just let them pass by. So, for example, one of the things that I find funny, and I think we may have talked about this in the Night Stalker, is Las Vegas has changed so much since the nineteen seventies. It, it's it's an amazing transformation of what was a little outpost with some casinos in it to a sprawling, if not a mega city, it's certainly probably crushing up to half a million to three quarters of a million people now. And, well, maybe half a million. And it is just spread. And it's, you know, like, like Western cities in the United States, it spreads out, not up. So it has just spread across the desert like a carpet. It's amazing how far you can drive in what used to be endless desert and the airport in las vegas used to be out in the desert now it's in the middle of town like it's right next to some of the big casinos that 
the, like the the Luxor and uh, and you know, the big pyramid one and a couple of the others. It's it's right out there. So it is viable that an, a flight attendant flying to the airport could in fact be on a road that deserted if she made a wrong turn, but not anymore. <laughs> not in today's day. You just wouldn't. I see that one. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, 1970s Vegas. You could be lost out there and and find a um, uh, an old abandoned road. Not anymore. <laughs> You'd hit the mountains first. Um, well, I wouldn't. I don't know Las Vegas, so I wouldn't have spotted that. But what on earth was the opening? I didn't get it. Uh, those were the 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 flight attendant was on her way to a flight. She was she was driving to the airport yeah. and she got lost. She made a wrong turn. Yeah. Broke a tire. Yep. And I think it was just simply the fact that she was bleeding in the vicinity of a vampire that, that reanimated it. That was that was it. It was just oh, that. right. It, it was just simply that, um, you know, that was the event that triggered off the series of murders. Okay. Right. I didn't. Trivial little scene at the beginning where, where the old friend of Kolchak is chatting with him at the, um, at the offices of the INS. There's kind of... Um, Again, it's a 1970s thing, and, and, and maybe, it's, you know, maybe it's still true, but this is that era where reporters were moving on to television. Like, television was the, the future of journalism, and, that, and, and there's, there's a certain sort of, you're out of date, you're old-fashioned, you need to get with the times and move on. And uh, I look at that and just shake my head in sorrow for <laughs> the the 40 years that have passed since then that have proved that to be both right and apocalyptic uh in their uh you know the death of the death of people getting news through proper reporting and the the sort of facile world that is television news i uh it's like yeah yep that was even even back then the writing was on the wall for us. Um, I wonder how many families have two sisters who are both high-priced prostitutes. Well, I should think relatively few, uh, because <laughs> relatively few have even one. I, I, I would think so. I would think, given, given families with one high-priced prostitute in them, how, what are the likelihoods that both sisters are? It, it seems... Well, it seems I, I, think, I, think, I, I think these are... If you were if you were calculating the probability, it would be a mistake to treat these as independent events. <clears throat> well, uh, I yeah, I, I it just I did not. It took time to even figure out what the heck was what they were trying to get at there because the first time we see Rollins um, in Los Angeles, actually, I think the first time we actually see her face, uh, Kolchak is narrating and saying she's just run across some or somebody's just run across somebody they haven't seen in years. And it was, and she looked like she was doing the standard, I'm a prostitute picking up a guy on the street, looking in the window, hey, you want some company, da 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 kind of thing. And so my thought is those two know each other, but she's acting like she's picking some guy up on the street, which is kind of weird. And they go back to the apartment, and he immediately starts um, kissing her, as if this is what is expected, like like they're old really old, that kind of friends. Of course, she kills him. Then her sister, who we don't know is her sister, walks in and she kills her too. Okay, family loyalty is gone. We're okay with that. Um, 
But I guess those two lived together, so he was the boyfriend of her sister, who is a prostitute. I, that's a pretty open-minded guy. Um, having a girlfriend who's a prostitute. Um, and then... Living off immoral and obvious, And then, um, obviously, he didn't have any qualms about trying to um, to have some action with her sister, too. So it sounds like that was a, a pretty close-knit group when they knew each other a, a few years ago, apparently. Just an odd... It made kind of sense, like, he knew her, and he went home, and then her... And then that guy's wife now, because he hasn't known her for three years, or girlfriend or something, comes home, and suddenly, you know, she has to kill her, too. But then when they throw that in and make it her sister, I'm just like, okay, that's that's like... I totally didn't get that he was that he wasn't just some random punter. That was my assumption. Would, would, I missed, would he I have missed, been able to go I, home? I missed the fact that he lived in the flat, basically. That was my well, if he didn't live in the flat, how did they get in? Unless Well, she let him in. Does that mean she had previously met up with her sister and got back in the That was my assumption. Well, that's a possibility. That's a possibility. I don't know. I thought they said they were. It was her boyfriend in the the police press briefing, but I. Oh, they might have done, but I I, I didn't pick that but up. But they could have been wrong too. No, his clothes were there. His clothes were in the closet. Mark Kolchak was the, the police detective was noting was looking through the clothes, and it was all men's clothes. And Kolchak later mentioned all the women's clothes were missing from the place. Okay, so they they lived there together, and that wasn't her. That wasn't her John, because that was Grace at Grace's Catering. So, anyway, um, I just thought that was kind of, it might explain why she went to Los Angeles to return home or to return to her family, uh, who then she proceeded to kill. Um, Anyway, um, so let's talk about the realtor, Faye or Faye, wasn't sure which it was. and the transcendental meditation. I I did appreciate the fact that they put in that bit where he says he's with the INS and she goes off on him about, oh, you people always harassing him. And, so, and it, it was so meaningless to the story. But the fact is, is that at that time and, and still ongoing to this day, there's a lot of people who use their religious <clears throat> um, uh, teachings if you will, to uh, make money and run afoul of the tax authorities here in the United States. You know, the Moonies, the Scientologists, the... Uh, uh, oh, any asking for of, trouble. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be disconnected. Uh, I, mean, I can't be disconnected. I'm not connected. Uh, you know, but um, there's one other big group that I'm thinking... Oh, well, uh, the, the, the guru himself, the... Which one of the Beatles... Um, following um, Harry Krishna, famous one. George Harrison. No, the George Harrison one, Harry Krishna. But when they went to India, they were following a particular guru or yogi, and he had a lot of problems with like tax questions for the the money people were giving him. It's it's, it's pretty common. Uh, it was just it was just kind of funny that they just they had some time to spend on the dialogue to to make the joke, basically, which is what it was. There were there were a couple places in this where they. Just made jokes, which made it fun. Like when he told her to start without him, when he sent her up to the room, and the doorman was obviously like, <laughs> "Yeah, 
<laughs> but I, 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 I like the IRS mistake because every time he says INS, I forget that that's, those are the initials of the service he works for. Mm-hmm. And I mishear it as IRS. And I assume that he is pretending to be IRS in order to ask some financial questions as you know, as a sort of sneaky, sneaky means or whatever. He did, t- he did later me, in this episode. Well, he, he but, did. But, but at the point where the joke was made, he had never done that. But every time he'd said who he worked for, honestly, I had assumed that he was saying IRS. That in, in other words, he was, he was giving out a cover story. And it had always taken me a couple of moments to kind of twig you know, when he started asking the questions, that wasn't what he'd done at all. He was just actually talking about the the service that he worked for. So at last, someone else made the same mistake that I kept making. And I think it was it was you know when he talked to the guy outside the um, the maintenance guy outside the apartment, mm-hmm. and he said to him, he kind of he showed him his press badge, but he kind of covered up the word press, and he said I'm with the INS, and the guy did the exact same mistake but this time kolchak used it yeah against him and i thought all right why not he didn't lie i'm with the ins <clears throat> and they go oh yeah which is funny because in 1970 i don't think it was there was an ins then um but now there is in the u.s the immigration and naturalization service so there is actually a government agency that that had that initials or it might be Homeland Security now, but for for many many years it was INS. So there really was one. But they wouldn't have used it that, then if they wouldn't have they wouldn't have chosen the the name International Youth Service if they if right. it, if it clashed. Presumably they would have chosen a different name. Right, right. So uh, that was, but you know the whole thing about her and the the writing the story and Kolchak uh, using her, uh, encouraging her to write the. Yes. Right on his behalf. Sign my byline uh, to it. I can have thought, you know, because he'd, because he'd been going along and, and being this kind of more fun to be with, kind of more uh, savvy character, I also thought he'd maybe undergone some kind of moral conversion. And he actually <laughs> was in... Although, obviously, there was mutual benefit there, he was partly trying to actually help her out until he said, sign my byline to it when I realised he still had absolutely no shame whatsoever. <laughs> I love the fact that Vincenzo's reading the story back to him. and I'm fascinated that it has all copper pipes throughout the house, uh, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, okay, that kind of makes sense. Um, what's, fun, at, at what, what's, what's funny about it is he, he's, then, he's then very conciliatory towards Faye who thinks that he correctly deduces that he has actually just been chewed out about the 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 article that she's written but he's very conciliatory towards her even though she's written this awful piece that is going to be under his byline and you thought my the, the one thing he wouldn't want was was for that to go unamended actually he doesn't care about it. he just wants her to carry on with the thing so that he can go off and pursue the story that is actually interesting him so in in some sense at least he doesn't he's he's not kind of ruled by his ego um even though you know he's not acting out of any kind of genuine empathy for her he um you, she, in in the end she does she does all right out of it she gets to she gets to 
to try something out, discovers that it's not really her thing, and uh, even though he's been using her, she she does get something out of it through mm. no, you know, no thanks to him ultimately, but still. Yeah, it's <clears throat> it was it was okay. It was it was. Yeah, it it tells us who Carl is and how far he's willing to go, and at the same time, he wasn't completely callous about it. Either. I mean, he he seemed to be. I don't want to say he had affection for her, but I mean, he, he wasn't completely a wasn't completely unsympathetic to the fact that she's a human being who had feelings uh, to get his way. Which uh, you could be forgiven for thinking Carl would be like that at all times. <laughs> yeah, from from what we've seen so far. Um, one thing about him that was different in this story was that he was seemingly willing to give up. The cops were running him out of town and he was packing to go. I mean, he, he just saw a vampire kill five people, big, strong people, and the he gets chewed out by his editor and they say, you're going to be on a plane at six o'clock or I'm going to put you in jail. I can't believe he left, that he went back and started packing. That just did not seem like Kolchak at all. He seemed to me like he would have just kept going until they locked him up. Uh, and, well, he, and yet he gets an idea and then he he abandons it. But but obvious or abandons leaving it. <clears throat> but even well, no, there, he's, no, he's not abandoned leaving at that point. He's just he gets distracted from leaving. He, he yes, because he did say he was going to be le- he had to leave the next day before the next day or he would have been in in big trouble so he yeah. had to go attack the vampire at, at night which is you know the wrong time to do that yeah um but uh, uh but you know there for a few moments i don't i don't know that he's he, done i don't know that he would he would uh, get himself locked up because he's had the opportunity to get himself locked up at the end of the, the the movies and he's decided that he would rather flee town than get himself locked up so see what, what i don't so here's and again, maybe I'm reading this here. <clears throat> is Carl more interested in the story, or is he more interested in stopping the creature, whatever it is, in any particular episode? And you know, if if he had gotten his vampire story, proved it was a vampire uh, in the in the original movie, been able to publish that it was a vampire, but not having killed it, but have it still on the loose. Would that have been good enough for him? Would he have, would he have walked away and said, okay, well, now the police can go take care of it? Or or would he have uh, continued his crusade knowing, well, okay, let's say the police weren't exactly still on board with killing it, <laughs> that he would go ahead and do it? And I, and I always do still kind of project in here that Kolchak is also doing this to stop the murders. I feel doubtful of uh, that that's his motivation. I think he's he's interested in the story and the story requires a couple of things one is well it certainly requires evidence and Mm -hmm. getting evidence means getting close to the whatever it is i mean vampire in this case and getting close to the vampire is difficult if the vampire is basically fully functioning Mm -hmm. and the only way to stop a vampire functioning is with a stake and a wooden mallet um and and also perhaps the other thing might be the kind of the ending to the story, which is much more satisfying if you can bring it to some sort of closure rather than just the vampire goes on. Well, okay, what about you? What if what if you knew for a fact that that somewhere in, in Birmingham 
there was a vampire killing people and that the police were not treating it seriously as it was the case, if you walked away, would you have any remorse or concern yeah. for all the people who continue to die in Birmingham until somebody gets serious on it? Oh, I, yes, I would. But then see, uh, there are a lot I, of things that Kolchak does that I wouldn't do, I think. Uh, true. And I, I'm just I'm just wondering, you know, because we have seen here in this very episode that he is not as um, I don't even know what the word for it is. Um, anti-social, anti-person, because he does have he shows he shows a little mm -hmm. bit of, of humanity towards the, the, the realtor. When he doesn't turn around and crush her about how bad the story was, um, but I, I still think there's a certain amount of self-interest in that. I mean, I'm not absolutely. I'm not saying I'm not saying that he's completely unsympathetic. If he was, if it, if with no e effort or ill effects on uh, to, to himself, he was able to save people or be benevolent in some way. I'm sure he would. You know, he's not he's not malicious. If, on the other hand, it did conflict with his self-interest more than a little bit, let's say, I kind of think that probably sooner or later his self-interest would win out because that's the kind of character mm. he seems to be. But, you know, maybe I'm doing him an injustice and his true nature has yet to shine through. I don't know. Because he, he does always seem to be trying to convince the police that they have to take action. I mean, obviously, he doesn't want to do it himself. You have to do this. You have to stop this. And you have to do it this way to stop it. And so th there seems to be um, – it, it seems to be at least that he has a sense of right and wrong that that needs to end. Um, well, he, but, he, has a, he has a sense of he wants to direct the, the, the story probably. Is that too. And so – it's it's not like having the murders carrying on is in his interests. It's quite the opposite. He wants the murders to stop. I'm just questioning why he wants the murders to stop. Is it a real, you know, fundamentally, is he all about um, saving lives and the good of humanity, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Or is it is it more about this is his interest is in the story and in what he's doing and and kind of it, the 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 stopping of the the murders and the murderer is inextricable from that hmm. it is his is his self interest for getting a story out because he wants to be successful uh, as as in the first film where he says here i come new york uh or or is it also because he's driven to be again 70s reporter stereotype get the truth out there find the truth and tell the truth I think I think there's uh, I think there's more than a bit of, of of the latter. I think he's someone who can't just do what needs to be done in order to to get ahead, in order to kind of climb the greasy pole, as it were. Otherwise, he I mean maybe that's what the scene at the beginning with the the old old acquaintance from the TV is showing, which is that if that were his interest, you know, if. If all he wanted to do was be successful, make money, be recognised, etc., etc., he would have gone off and done that. And that's not his style. He is, in some sense, driven by this kind of old-fashioned reporting ethic, and that, and 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 the way that that expresses itself through him isn't always necessarily 
um, in in his best interest or whatever. But it's in his nature. That's that's who he is. Mm. That's what he does. He he has to he has to do that job, I guess. But mm. he 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 does want to be successful at it as well. Yeah. So it's it you know it's the the um, the ambition the ambition is 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 there but it's not is not overriding the kind of you get you get the sense of it being like he, he, he's like a stick of rock in that you know he's got reporter written all the way through him okay so the old house the the rundown old old dilapidated house i i love his line who would go near only a vampire or a <laughs> fool looking for her yeah um it's one of the things I like about uh, the Night Stalker is that they do a pretty good job of uh, when they get to the directing the, the tense moments there at the end, uh, where like we talked about when he has to crawl in with the, the zombie on the the other one, and here he said it's interesting that he goes to a hauntedy house, which is not very haunted because I I recognize <laughs> I recognize that house. Um, and I, I would bet dollars to donuts that that was also the home of Count Dracula in the about the same couple years later TV series Cliffhangers in the United States, where they had a a, a Dracula uh, soap opera plot line going on. And I would swear that's the exact same house and uh, on the exterior. And it's more of a stately home than than it is a. a one. He never even goes in it. They, they managed to make it creepy, creeping around the house, you know, tight angles, dark hmm. corners, just being outside it. He never even gets in it. What I don't like about it is, could you just stop knocking things over and making <laughs> noise? Yeah. I, I, I get you know, I get that not everybody is super stealthy, but I would be making my extra, extra extra efforts to be super stealthy if I was around a vampire by myself in the dark uh, <laughs> that that he's just witnessed kill five football players any one of which could have pounded him to a pulp so yeah um, I, I obviously they do that to, to ratchet up the tension but it, it reached a point there on that particular one where he I don't know about the seventh thing he kicked over I was just like oh come on or I'll be a little little a little quieter. Um, so, I mean, what did you think about the 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 the? He obviously laid a trap with the fire and the cross. Yes, he, um, yes. I, I, and and clearly, they don't ever worry about forest fires in Los Angeles, right? Uh, back in those days, they didn't, but now they do because of the drought. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. <laughs> It, it, it was it was a it was quite a good spectacle. <laughs> did, did, it was different you know, from what he had to do last time. When yeah, when you see a huge burning cross, you don't automatically think vampires. You're looking for the white hoods, but still, true, true, very much, <laughs> very much true. Well, it's that that coven, um, the, the the dark star <laughs> yeah, coven yeah. That, he was, that he was talking about. <laughs> it was uh, active in the in Los Angeles area. Um, yeah, I mean, I was I was fine with it. I. You know, very convenient that Lieutenant Mateo happened to be one of the cops coming over the hill that witnessed uh, Kolchak driving the stake through. So here's my question. <laughs> Again. Uh, was it the coroner's report that convinced them that Kolchak was right and let him go? Yeah. Or, or was Mateo kind of on the border line 
he obviously thought something was wrong because, you know, they arrested the guys, and this is very strange, they arrested the guys they thought committed the murders, the double murder, and then they held the press conference at the actual crime scene, which makes no sense whatsoever, and then afterwards, Mateo goes back and starts searching the place again. Did he do that because of all the, the badgering and the questions that Kolchak uh, initiated during the press conference? Did that, did that give him second thoughts? Because I kind of got the impression... He, I didn't think this cop was completely stupid. I mean, he, he was driven no. to distraction, but he seemed to be, you know, better than what we've seen so far. Oh, see, again, it's another example of the being a kind of real sort of change, ringing in the changes. So, okay... I mean, when we talked about the last one, whose title I've forgotten, we we discussed the fact that there's always this police captain who who is a different character nominally each week, but actually fulfills exactly the same role in exactly the same way. And here, that's and, and I, I I think you said there was no police captain in this one, and indeed here he is; he's a lieutenant, but. I was thinking this one was the werewolf. Oh, yes. Okay. But still, there is no police captain. (laughs) I just thought you were being a bit cute saying, you know, not a police captain. Um, But but he's he's not, you know, he's not just a different rank. He's actually a different, he's a completely different style of policeman. So even though there is a pretty antagonistic relationship between the two of them, and I suspect that Matteo probably doesn't listen to Kolchak all that much. He's not, he's not too influenced by him. Um, just the way it's played, really, mm-hmm. is, 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 is rather than the kind of shouting, which you could, you could pr- pretty much do the same lines. But he's very soft-voiced and he's very kind of authoritative, which is new for these um, <laughs> high-ranking Policy. police officers strangely enough um and and there are some nice lines you know you're not you're not interesting you're just idiotic why are you having this fantasy Mm. and when he says Uh, i want you to get out of town he says it really really softly and actually it looks much more like kolchak listens to him when he does rather than yelling true true well i go along with and of course uh for those who don't know and that may include you that actor william daniels um i think was in I think he was in ER for years, if Good I'm not grief. mistaken. He was he was in one of those doctor things that went on for many years that I didn't watch. But he is also uh, the voice of uh, Knight Rider, the caller. Well, well, well. Kit. <laughs> he's got a gr- he's got, yes, that's Kit. He's got a great voice, and uh, that that is that's the man. He's got that kind of oh my, to him. So, and and even the. The reporter who was the, the TV reporter who was Kolchak's friend, that's Larry Storch, who was also it, it, carrying on with this thing of picking up with recognizable in the U.S. actors, uh, once the star of F Troop and um, uh, another story, show I can't think of off the top of my head. Uh, but, you know, just these, these faces that you would know and recognize in a completely pointless bit part. <laughs> At the beginning, I mean, they could have just hired anybody, but they get somebody whose name would be recognized. And I'm, I just kind of, um, it seems like there, there wasn't anybody else in this one that, that fit in that category. But 
Little faces. Okay, uh, I'm just going to... Um, this is a very rare circumstance on our recording uh, where the Night Stalker, the movie, just got published. Not the movie, but our podcast on it. Uh, a, <clears throat> shortly before we're recording this, the sequel. So I wanted to uh, point out a couple things. Uh, Mr. Iguana, one of our regular commenters. Hello, Mr. Iguana. Um, pointed was talking about... Uh, some thoughts about the Night Stalker, and I, I love his use of the phrase, "the plots are paper thin." <laughs> that that's so evocative, and and it suddenly it made all sense to me. He's like, he's right. I mean, we've been kind of making fun of them. Their plots aren't exactly like, but paper thin is a very good explanation <laughs> definition for them. But um, but then he flips around to point out that the directors had a skill for filming the monster, which which, and I, I think they do, and they never speak. I don't know if that's true. I, in my mind, I think that I think that's false. I mean, not universally true, but it could be the exception that proves the rule. But he's right. So far, Night Strangler does talk. So, but in the series, uh, you know, they never they never spin their justifications. They never try to justify themselves to Carl. They they're just there's, there's forces quite, of yeah. It does, certainly doesn't count as speaking. There was a, a fair amount of camp hissing in the, this this vampire episode. Yes. But, uh, but she must have been able to talk. Oh, yes. Because she negotiated a deal with Grace at the catering service. See the air quotes there? Catering service. And uh, so it, it's just in what we in the audience uh, are interacting with. There's that, that kind of um, sign. Yes. I, I'm not going to go into his comments about the X-Files. Um, um, because it's kind of a different topic. And, and, you know, maybe at some point we do. But... I think it's interesting that, that he, he reads comments, people. Go look, well, make some comments of your own. That would be cool. We, we, we love that. But uh, it, it's interesting contrasting his thoughts about Kolchak and, and Mulder and I being world weary. I mean, Mulder and Scully, world weary? I, I never got that. I mean, at the end, yes, obviously they've been beaten down over nine or ten years of, of absolute. Huh. To me, Coljack is about as world weary as it gets. Yeah, I, 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 I guess I um, was perhaps. I mean, I, I can't remember exactly what I said about the Night Strangler now, uh, but I'm pretty certain that my impression of the character of Coljack was not, as Mister Iguana says, uh, a, a fun character to spend time with. After I'd watched that movie and indeed oh yeah the movie the, is the, yeah he's the, the sequel and and so forth and in fact pretty much not until i'd watched this episode that we've just now talked about uh, where i actually you know i did feel that this was this was much more fun you know there there was there was a a lightness to it there was a much more um the the it, partly the pacing and it's partly the the writing and the performances were were much uh, less shouty, but mm-hmm. that that did in the end leave me with the feeling that although I still don't particularly like him as a man, that Kolchak yeah he is quite fun you know and spending time in his company can be entertaining in fact. I would love to see so <clears throat> it you know the. Non-spoilery. We we know Kolchak only lasted a certain length of time. 
that was due to issues with a, n- a number of things. But actually, uh, it kind of ended because um, uh, uh, Darren McGavin basically quit. Um, and also very vocally disappointed in quite a lot of the scripts and ultimately drove him to the point where uh, they cut the season short and let him let him back out is is my understanding how it works i would love to know which ones he really liked because there were (laughs) ones that he was really into uh and and you know the the character of kolchak the way he wanted the character of kolchak to be he was he was vested in it um he he gave it he was given it his all and um <clears throat> helping rewrite scripts things like that i i kind of wonder if this is one you know the ones where we, certainly where hope we so. kind of see kolchak kind of stand out and be uh you know more has more dimensions than that two-dimensional character we've seen so far yeah i mean i think and, darren mcgavin does a great job in this so uh I'm going to see if I can't track that down. Maybe maybe that's out there on the internet somewhere. Darren McGavin's guide to what I liked and disliked on Kolchak. I'll I'll see if I can I'll see if I can find something because that would be that would be really interesting to know. Um because it does you could say it could run hot and cold from time to time. So, anyway. All right, well, Simon, thank you. It's a pleasure as always. <laughs> and listeners, thank you and also commenters, thank you. And uh, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf.